On the 25th of June, 2006, I found myself standing outside the gates of Buckingham Palace. I had received a letter in the post from the palace a few months before that basically said, you are welcome to come to the palace for the Queen's 80th birthday and to meet the Queen. You don't need to bring anything, just be outside at this time on this date and we'll let you in. Not the sort of letter you get every day. And as you can imagine, as a little insignificant 14-year-old from Balamina, I was very surprised. I couldn't remember saving anyone's life. I never raised a lot of money for charity. In my eyes, I was the last person who deserved an invitation like that. But the letter promised in black and white that I was welcome. And so I went, rocked up to the gates, and I was on the list. I walked through the gates, past the, the guy with the big funny hat, and then I walked through Buckingham Palace into the most amazing garden party. The theme of the party was children's literature, so they designed the garden to make you feel like you were walking in and out of different children's books. It was incredible. I met so many cool people. Uh, I met Harry Potter. Uh, I met Lizo from Newsround. Yeah, come on. And wait for it. I even met Tracy Baker, one of the highlights of my life. Jamie Oliver gave me lunch. It was absolutely stinking, um, but thanks anyway. Um, but the most exciting part of the day was when the queen came out. And we got to meet her. And we spent the afternoon in the presence of the queen, hanging out in her garden, totally surreal. Who would have thought? How did I end up here? And then we all watched the pantomime about the Queen's handbag, riveting stuff. Uh, and after that, the day was over and we went home. Let me ask you tonight, have you ever doubted whether you deserve God's invitation? Have you ever questioned whether you deserve God's blessing? Maybe you've had thoughts like this. Are the promises in the Bible really for someone like me? Surely I don't deserve to be blessed by God. Or let me ask you another question. Have you ever doubted that you deserve to be in God's presence? Maybe you are a Christian, but sometimes you have thoughts like, I've messed up too many times for God to still want me. I'm going to stop going to church because I feel like everyone has it together and I am just never going to measure up. Well, if you've ever found yourself wondering whether or not you deserve to receive God's blessing or to be in God's presence, then Jacob is someone you will uh, be able to relate to. But not only that, Jacob's story is part of a bigger story that is wonderful news for you. Because this story reveals something of God's master plan to bless this sinful world and to fill it with his presence. And by his grace, God invites us to become part of that story. If we think back through the story of Jacob so far, he hasn't exactly been the picture of faith and godliness. This is the guy who stole the birthright from his brother Esau back in Genesis 25. The birthright was given to the firstborn son and it meant that they received a double portion of the inheritance. And when Esau came home absolutely starving, instead of showing him compassion or kindness, Jacob took advantage of his brother and took the greater share of the inheritance off him in exchange for some stew. Then, in chapter 27, with the help of his mother, Jacob deceived his own father into blessing him when the blessing rightfully belonged to Esau. 
But this wasn't just any blessing. It wasn't just another share of the inheritance. Isaac wanted to pass on the same blessing that God had given to him and to his father Abraham. The promise that God would bless Abraham's family and would bless all the nations of the earth through them. Isaac wanted to bless Esau because as the firstborn, Esau was supposed to carry on that chosen line. But Jacob deceived his father so that he would be the one chosen to carry on this line of blessing. There's a bit of a pattern here. Throughout his life, Jacob has shown no regard for others and he's shown no regard for God. He's been out for number one and he's been prepared to lie, cheat, blaspheme, steal to get what he wants. To put it simply, he is sinful. Like everyone else on earth, he is a sinner. Let's look back to where his sin has gotten him. Esau was so angry with him that Jacob had to flee for his life. And afraid she's about to live through one of her sons killing her other son, Rebecca has to think on her feet and she tells Isaac to send Jacob away to find a suitable wife from among her people. And so Isaac sends Jacob away to his uncle Laban, 500 miles away, to find a wife. But interestingly, he sends him off without providing a bride price. In those days, if a man wanted to marry a woman, they had to give a substantial gift uh, to the bride's family. Abram sent a bride price when he sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac. But now Isaac sends Jacob out on his own with nothing. He may well now be the sole inheritor of everything his father has, but Jacob is not in the good books with his dad. So for now, he's going to have to work things out on his own. But despite how Isaac feels about the situation, the line of blessing has been decided. And as Jacob leaves, he leaves with his father's words ringing in his ears. May God Almighty bless you. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land God gave to Abraham. And that is where we pick the story up. Because of his sin, this domesticated man who liked to stay among the tents now finds himself alienated from his family, sleeping rough out in the wilderness, all alone and going away from the land he's supposed to be taking possession of. No doubt, the question on Jacob's mind as he slowly makes his way to his uncle is, are these promises actually mine? How could God ever bless me after all that I've done? Surely God wants nothing to do with me. But as we've seen in this passage, like God has done so often in Genesis, God appears to Jacob and speaks to him in order to reassure him and remind him that he is in control and that he has a plan to bless this broken world. So let's look at the text together. As we reflect on this passage, I think there are three assurances that we can observe. And the first assurance is this. God wants to bless sinners. God wants to bless sinners. So Jacob has set off on this long journey. He's on his own. He's hungry. It's starting to get dark, but he's nowhere to sleep. It's too late to go any further. We can see in verse 11, he stops somewhere and taking a stone, he places it under his head and falls asleep. And as he sleeps, Jacob begins to dream. It's quite an incredible dream, isn't it? Jacob sees a stairway reaching down from heaven to earth with angels ascending and descending on it. 
We're going to talk about this stairway in just a few minutes, but first, let me draw your attention to what God says in verse 13. Above the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. When Jacob is at his most vulnerable, when sin has left him out in the cold, when he's questioning whether or not God's promises are genuinely going to apply to him, God interrupts his life and gives this sinner his word that they will. In his grace, even though Jacob doesn't deserve it at all, God confirms the blessing that Isaac gave Jacob. God makes the same promise of blessing to Jacob that he made to Abraham and Isaac. It will be Jacob's offspring who will be blessed and will inherit the land. It will be Jacob's offspring who will fill the whole earth and will bless all peoples on earth. We expect God to say, not a chance, son. You can trick your family all you want, but you can't trick me. There's no way I'm letting you have that blessing. But God doesn't do that. God is gracious. God is sovereign. He's bigger than Jacob's mistakes. God is determined to fulfill his purposes. God is going to follow through on his plan to bless the whole world through Abraham's descendants. By no means does he condone Jacob's sin. God can't stand sin. But in his grace, he doesn't let sin prevent him from accomplishing his purposes. God still chooses to bless Jacob. Jacob is going to be the one God wants to carry on this line with. Jacob is God's chosen man who will father God's chosen people who will then bless the whole world. And what we need to see here is that this is not just God making promises to an individual. This is God continuing to carry out his global agenda. We can't be too quick to say that we are Jacob in this story because this is God giving Jacob particular promises at a particular point in redemptive history. We have not been promised that we will father many offspring through which the whole world will be blessed or that we will inherit the land of Canaan. The main thing we need to see here is that God in his grace has a plan to bless a rebellious world and he is faithful to make sure that nothing gets in the way of that plan. Jacob stealing the blessing doesn't put an end to this plan. God was always in control. Human sin and rebellion is totally unable to derail God's purposes. God's promises to Jacob reveal that his plan is to bless all peoples on earth, sinful people from every nation. This is talking about worldwide blessing through Jacob's offspring. This is pointing us forward to Christ. Just as Jacob had a particular role to play in God blessing the nations, Jesus had a particular role to play, didn't he? Jesus is the true Jacob, the true Israel, the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who will come to save sinners. People from every nation will be blessed by Jesus Christ as they repent of their sin and put their trust in him. This is not just physical blessing, this is spiritual blessing. People from all over the world will have salvation through one of Jacob's offspring. That is wonderful news for sinful people like us. Thousands of years later, we benefit from these promises because we know that God was faithful to his plan to bless the whole world. So while we can't definitively say we are Jacob in this story, on one level, 
Jacob's experience is shared by all those who have come to know and trust in God. Just like this was wonderful news for sinful Jacob, God, by his grace, when we weren't looking for him, when we were dead in our sin, out alone in the cold, God found us, interrupted our lives, and through his word, he gave us his wonderful promises. He gave us wonderful blessings in Christ. Despite our sinfulness, God promises that if we repent from our sin and put our trust in Jesus Christ, our sin has been dealt with on the cross, and we will have new life. He promises us that if we trust in Christ, we will no longer have to face God's judgment for our sin, but we will be given the righteousness of Christ. He promises that he will never leave or forsake those who trust in him. So tonight, if you don't know Jesus, you might think you don't deserve any of the promises that you read in the Bible. You might think you don't deserve God's invitation or God's spiritual blessings. You might think you have done so many terrible things, you don't qualify for what you hear preached in this building. Welcome to the club. There's not a single person in here who deserves God's grace. That's why it's called grace. We are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We deserve his wrath, but God is gracious. He gives us what we don't deserve. He has always had a plan to bless sinners like you and like me through Jesus Christ. Okay, so God wants to bless sinners. The second assurance that we can observe is that God wants to dwell with sinners. God wants to dwell with sinners. So God has just confirmed that Jacob will receive the promises he gave to Abraham and Isaac, but he's not finished speaking. If you look with me to verse 15, we can now see what this stairway between heaven and earth and all these angels represent. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God doesn't just give Jacob the promises. He also promises Jacob that he is going to be with him until the promises are completed. God is using this dream of a stairway coming down from heaven to show Jacob that despite humanity's sin and rebellion, heaven is still very much involved in what's happening on earth. That despite worldwide rebellion and sin, God is still willing to come down and be with his people. God is showing Jacob that he is going to be present with him every step of the way and that he is commanding his angels concerning him. This is God assuring Jacob of provision and protection for this journey. This would have been profoundly comforting for Jacob. Isolated, hungry, on the run because of his sin, God shows up and reassures him that despite his sinfulness, he is still with him. Look at Jacob's reaction when he wakes up in verse 16. Surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Have you ever had that feeling when you're in an important place and you're in awe when you think about all the important people who have been there before you? You feel like you're in the presence of greatness just by being there. I had a feeling like that when I went to Old Trafford, um, the theater of dreams, or so it used to be. Um, and when I, when I sat in the dressing room, I thought to myself, think of all the amazing Manchester United players who have been in this room. Think of all the incredible Alex Ferguson halftime team talks that happened right here. 
That's the kind of feeling Jacob has when he wakes up, but obviously on a much bigger and more significant scale. This is the house of God himself. This is the gate of heaven. This is the turning point in Jacob's life. Jacob was previously unaware that God was with him, but now that God has revealed himself through his words, he realizes that God has been with him all along. And Jacob is right to be amazed. This is remarkable. In Genesis 3, the consequence of Adam and Eve's sin and rebellion was that they were removed from God's presence. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, weren't they? But now in Jacob's story, we start to get a glimpse that God's plan is to dwell with his people again. This plan that unfolds throughout the Bible should amaze us just like it amazed Jacob. God, by his grace, wants sinners to know his presence with them. And we see this plan develop as God's presence fills the tabernacle and the temple in Israel. As the high priest makes sacrifices for the people's sin and Israel keep God's covenant commands, then God's glorious presence will dwell among them. But we see it most clearly in Jesus. Jesus is God incarnate, the one in whom the fullness of God dwells and the one who walked among sinful people like us. The one who ate with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is the place where people meet God. He is the new house of God. He is the the new gate of heaven. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples in John 1, verse 51. Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is Jesus comparing himself to the stairway we've just read about. This is Jesus saying that he is the greater, more permanent connection between heaven and earth. Jesus is saying that he has come to be the mediator between God and man. He has come to reconnect heaven and earth. That was accomplished when Christ died on the cross. Christ dealt with sin once and for all so that anyone, no matter where they're from on this planet, could be reconnected with God. That anyone could be forgiven and blessed with eternal life if they put their trust in him. And then as Jesus rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father, he now mediates with the Father on our behalf as our great high priest, giving us permanent access to the Father giving us a permanent connection to heaven. And not only that, he's also sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Now those who are united to Christ by faith, the body of Christ, the church, we are the temple that God dwells in by his spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? We no longer have to go to the temple to meet God. We are the temple. We are God's dwelling place. We can all know the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit. That is what the church is. It's not a building. It's the people of God regenerated by the Spirit of God who now dwells in us. And the Bible says that for us there is still a final stage of God's plan to come. There is a future we can look forward to. Revelation 21 verse 3 speaks of what will happen when Christ returns to renew the earth. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. 
They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. We await a day when the whole creation will be consumed with the glorious presence of God. When heaven will come down to earth and we will live in the presence of God in the new heavens and the new earth forever. You think the Queen's Garden Party sounded good? The new creation, it's going to be like the most indescribable, unimaginable, incredible garden party. What we had with God in the Garden of Eden restores. A garden party covering the whole of creation where the glory and presence of God will fill the whole world. We need to remember to let this impact how we think and how we live our lives. Just as in this passage, God comforts and reassures Jacob that despite his sinfulness, he is with him. Through his words, as he reveals this plan to us, God does the same to us. So if you don't feel like you deserve to be in God's presence, when you feel like you're too much of a mess to meet with God's people or to come in prayer and spend time with him in the words, remember that none of us deserve to be in God's presence. And remember what he's done so that he might dwell with you again. We don't deserve to be able to talk with God and spend time with him in his word. We don't deserve to have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. It's all God's grace. It's his gracious plan that we would enjoy his presence again, that he would dwell in us again. We deserve to still be outside the garden. We deserve to be outside alone in the cold. But God in his grace will not let our sin get in the way of him dwelling with us. Jesus Christ has dealt with our sin on the cross and given us his righteousness. We can run to God with our sin and ask him to forgive us. We don't have to run away from him. He accepts us because we come in the name of the one who never sinned. And We need to remember that God is with us all the time. How easily do we forget that God cares about all the small, seemingly insignificant things we go through every day. We forget that we can talk to him about everything. We forget that he has promised to be with us. This point in Jacob's life, um, it reminds me of my student days. Um, you're far from home, you've left your family, you spend a lot of time on your own, you're trying to find someone to marry, um, you're absolutely freezing, and you're living off pot noodles. Um, if that's you, you need to hear tonight that God is with you. When you're putting your kids to bed after a long day, God is with you. When you're studying for your exams and you're getting stressed out, God is with you. When you're on the commute to work, God is there. In all things, we can have wonderful assurance that even though we have sinned, God welcomes us into his presence through Christ. Okay, so God wants to bless sinners. God wants to dwell with sinners. The final assurance we can observe is that God wants to transform sinners. God wants to transform sinners. So Jacob has just heard God's word He's heard God say that even though he hasn't been living in a way that honors him, in his grace, he will still give Jacob access to his promises and his presence will go with him. Now, let's look at Jacob's response. We saw in verse 17 that Jacob was afraid and exclaimed, how awesome is this place? This man who had no regard for God now fears God. This man who was determined to gain the world's goods for himself by any means necessary is now captivated by the awesomeness of God's presence. And we can see in verse 18 to 22 uh, that Jacob's response to this revelation of God's grace is to worship him. Early the next morning, 
Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all of that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Okay, so Jacob does some things that seem pretty weird to us, but these are acts of worship. The first thing he does is to take the stone he was lying on, set it up as a pillar, and then he pours oil on it and called the place Bethel. In the ancient world, setting up a stone served as a marker to note some important event, or as in this case, to mark out a sacred area where God could be found. Uh, We do something similar with the blue plaques you sometimes see on houses. They're put there to remind us that someone important once lived there. And pouring out oil was a gift to God. It was the same idea as making a sacrifice. So this is an act of worship. This is Jacob showing that he is devoting himself to God and setting this place apart as holy. He then gives this place a name. He calls it Bethel, which simply means the house of God. What Jacob is doing here is establishing a place where God can be worshipped. He is preparing a place for more and more people to come after him and give glory to God and offer their sacrifices to him. After this encounter with God, not only does God want or not only does Jacob want to worship God, he wants the the generations, the descendants that will come after him and live in this land to worship him as well. The second thing Jacob does is to make a vow with God. Um, Now I'm sure as you read Jacob's vow, you thought this sounds very strange. If God will do this, then I will do this. It's not exactly the language of faith, is it? It's not really someone who fears, uh, what someone who fears God would say. It looks as if Jacob is trying to strike a bargain with God to get his way. It looks as if Jacob hasn't left his manipulative, Machiavellian ways behind him. But I actually don't think that's the case. Jacob isn't asking God to do anything that God hasn't already promised to do. He hasn't lost his fear of God overnight. And if we look at vows in the Old Testament, they they weren't made to induce God to do something he wasn't willing to do. Later on in texts like Deuteronomy 23, we can see that Vows like this were permitted in God's law. This is Jacob taking God at his word and praying for God's will. This is Jacob saying, okay, God is promising to do this, so the Lord will be my God. I'm going to commit to him. I'm going to rely on God from now on. It's quite an amazing turnaround. Jacob, who would do anything, trample over anyone for a little bit more, is now committing to God and saying he is going to tithe. He wants to put his resources in God's hands. Jacob's actions show that he has been changed by God's grace. He hasn't become perfect overnight, as we'll see in the rest of his his story. But he now wants to worship God and how he lives. Jacob understands that God giving him access to his promises and his presence means he needs to give God access to every area of his life. So what can we learn from Jacob's response? Well, we can see that God's plan to bless and dwell with sinners is going to lead to sinners being transformed. God loves sinners. He sent Jesus to save sinners so that he could dwell with us again. But God hates sin. He doesn't want people to stay in their sin. When people hear God's gracious plan 
and respond by putting their faith in Christ, it should cause them to hate sin too. It should cause them to worship God for who he is and what he's done. That is what God's grace will do to a sinful heart. When we hear God's word, when we read in the Bible what God has done in Christ to dwell with his people again, that should lead us to worship him with our whole lives, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, allowing God's grace to keep transforming how we live. Like Jacob, we should have a healthy, reverent fear of God that colors everything we do. We should seek to worship him with every area of our lives, our attitudes, how we use our resources, how we spend our time. Just as Jacob was concerned that God would be worshipped, so should we be. We should be concerned about God's glory and want God to be worshipped for generations to come. And also a good marker of transformation in our lives is whether or not we are investing in those coming after us. Let me ask those of you tonight who have been Christians a long time, Are you still giving God access to every area of your life? Are you using your time and your resources to make sure that the gospel is being passed on? Are you making sacrifices, investments now to make sure that God will be glorified for generations to come? Just as we close tonight, maybe tonight you've never realized what God wants to do for you. Just like God gave sinful Deceitful Jacob, his promises of blessing and promises of his presence with him when he didn't deserve it, and Jacob was transformed. God wants to bless you. He wants to give you his spirit and turn your life around by his grace. And he's made that possible through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. If you want to know more about that and how you can come to know Christ, we'd, we'd love to speak to you. Please don't leave without speaking to someone. If you are a Christian, don't forget that God dwells in us by his spirit and that Jesus Christ is mediating on our behalf. We can come to God in prayer at any time and rest in the fact that he is always with us and Christ is always interceding for us. Don't let your sin get in the way of spending time with God and meeting with his people. We need to keep running to God and asking for his help in all areas of our lives. And above all, we need to remember that we worship a gracious God. A God who had a plan to bless his rebellious children and bring them back into his presence again, even when we didn't deserve it. Let's pray.